companies still want super talent. And I think it's also because a lot of companies overhired the last couple of years. So each worker needs to be super awesome, right? When the economy is good, everyone looks good, right? It was only when things started to slow down that companies started to look around and be like, is Michael really that good? Or were those sales just coming in because everyone was making sales? And now that it's gotten tough, he can't produce anything, right? Those are the things that happen. And so they're being more, I would say, um, precise, but they're willing, again, they're willing to pay for quality, but they're kicking the tires more because especially in this world now where not every job is in the office, you have to have more trust. So you want to make sure that I'm only gonna spend time in this person maybe once a quarter in real life. I gotta make sure I trust Laura. Welcome to You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. You are ambitious in life and in your career, but something is missing. You want to bring more of your passion to what you do, because let's be honest, you pour a ton into your work and it needs to mean more. I'm your host, Laura Eigel. I'm a mom, wife, PhD, coach, advocate, introvert, and indoor rowing fanatic. I'm passionate about living a life that's in line with my values. We'll give you the actionable tips and tools you need to lead with your values, make a difference, and have career success. The world needs more diversity and authenticity in the top jobs at organizations. Your leadership belongs there. You belong in the C-suite. What gets you up in the morning? What drives your decisions? What do you stand for? No idea? Not even sure where to start? I use my values to guide my life and career. It's the basis of how I've built boundaries for myself and stuck to them. Are you ready to dig into what matters to you? Go to thecatchgroup.com to download your free values worksheet. That's thecatchgroup.com to download your free values worksheet to get to your core values and take action on what matters most. Welcome to this week's episode of the You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. Today, I'm excited to welcome our guest, Kyle Samuels. Kyle's going to give you a behind-the-scenes view on what it's like on the other side of executive recruiting. Kyle Samuels is the founder of Creative Talent Endeavors, an executive search agency and consultancy that aims to revolutionize the talent landscape. Armed with more than two decades of recruiting experience, Kyle has worked with some of the largest companies, including Yum Brands, Kroger, Twitter, Clavio, and Duolingo. Kyle aims to make the C-suite look like America, with 65% of job placements at CTE identifying as women and more than 40% coming from historically underrepresented demographics. We have a common purpose, Kyle and I, of getting more diversity and authenticity at the top jobs at organizations. And I was just so excited to talk with him about the current talent landscape. And in my conversation with Kyle, we talked about his career story within multiple industries, which led him to build Creative Talent Endeavors, an executive search agency. We broke down how the executive recruiting model works currently and the benefits for companies and for candidates. Kyle walked through the changes that he's seen and what companies are looking for in executive candidates post-pandemic and what the differentiators are for candidates who are landing really great roles right now. We also talked about how Creative Talent Endeavors is disrupting the model of executive search, how companies pay for external recruiting and how he's changing that and the benefits to companies and to candidates. So whether you are actively seeking a new role, thinking about it, or are at a company that is trying to fill executive roles, I know you'll get a lot out of our discussion. Let's get started. Well, Kyle, I want to welcome you to the You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Laura. Yeah, well, I'm excited to give this perspective of what you are seeing in the talent market. And, but before we get into all of that really good and juicy stuff, I want to learn more about you. So we've briefly met each other, but I do not know all the good things, all the stuff um, that, that has gotten you here. So tell me more about life, career story, all the good stuff. My name is Kyle Samuels. I am a founder and CEO of Creative Talent Endeavors. 
and grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, suburb called Shaker Heights, uh, single parent mom, all that good stuff. Uh, went to college, was going to be a lawyer. Um, for those of you listening to this old enough to remember, there was a show in the 80s called L.A. Law. I was in fourth grade. I saw Blair Underwood as a fly ass black lawyer. And I was like, I know what I'm going to be when I grow up. So from then on, it was going to be a lawyer. You go to school, they say, just get good grades, do well in the LSAT and um, you'll be fine. Right. So took film classes, poli sci, got good grades, got into Emory, which was my um, number one choice of law school, looked at the paper where they tell you congratulations and here's what it's going to cost to go. And I was just like, you know what? First off, I don't think I'm ready for three more years of school. Second, my friends are getting job offers where they're getting paid the same amount that I'm about to go into debt. Let me try that out. I was very um, comfortable and adroit with technology, even though I was a poli sci guy. Like my computer programming friends used to come to my um, apartment to use my Apple, right? And so they snuck me into, <laughs> I didn't have a resume. Again, I was just going to go to law school, so I never needed a resume. Helped me build a resume, literally snuck me into a computer science job fair at the end of the year, right? So this is like the dregs of people, um, not people, but opportunities, right? And so long story short, TLDR, as the kids say, met with the company like, oh, we like you. But here's the thing. Um, you have zero computer science in your background. And also, we've already hired our incoming crop, but we'll, we'll, we'll keep you in mind. But here's what you can do if you want to become viable. Um, and by the way, this is pre uh, this is late 90s. So I remember Y2K. Oh, my God, planes are going to fall out of the sky. So they said, hey, if you learn JCL, job control language and COBOL, these two ancient computer programming languages from the 60s and 70s, then yeah, we can actually consider you, right? You don't have a degree, but blah, blah, blah. So the summer I graduated college, while my friends were spending their little bonuses and having fun, I was sitting at a dining room table teaching myself to, to, to program antiquated software languages. It is one of my biggest accomplishments because it blows my mind that I managed to do that. And then you go to a center and you take the test. There is no cheating. You know how to do it or you don't. Can't do a line of code like that anymore. But I tell you that story because two things. Number one, I'm very focused. And if I want something, I'm tenacious. I'm going to go for it. And I believe I can make it happen. Um, sometimes it may seem like hope is against me, but it is what it is. And the second part is the irony is um, ended up getting the job or a job with them and never use that. I did something totally different in technology, but it wasn't largely <laughs> CEO, but that's fine. Right. So stayed in um, my first couple of years computer. And what was great for me as an introvert and as an only child, right? Someone who's neurodivergent. Your success is based on the value of your work product, not your relationships, not your political, not your schmoozing. It's just like, oh, you're good. So you can get promoted. Awesome. So then um, ended up moving to Los Angeles, worked for a startup, got laid off with a bunch of people. It was one of those, you know, web 1.0 issues where they spend too much money, blah, 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 blah. So I was like, okay, I think I'm ready for more school, but I want to go to business school, not law school. I realized that was my path, I thought. Unfortunately, my mom passed away at that time. And so went back to Cleveland to take care of the house, do all that good stuff. And I kind of had, I, I consider like the Oprah moment where you're just like, life is really short, huh? Because she was young when she died, right? And, you know, tomorrow's never promised. I have always had a huge interest in the business of entertainment, not front of the camera, but just like the production, the agents, the managers, how it works, love it. And so like I used to read Hollywood Reporter and Variety when I was in college uh, on microfiche or whatever, I'm old. And so, um, anywho, I'm still living in Los Angeles and my girlfriend at the time, she had a, a friend who worked at a big agency and this was back, you had to know someone, it was harder to get into Harvard, literally, right? Super close in, rich kids still using faxes. And so I said, I will probably never have this opportunity again. So let me roll the dice and give it a shot. And so at my big age, uh, my 20s, I made, I got accepted to the leadership program, started in the mailroom, making minimum wage, right? And so what that helped me do is the adage of it's not what you know, who you know, it really is true in entertainment. So the whole goal of the, the mailroom is you learn the city, you learn how the business works, and you get out and you get on someone's desk. For those of you who watch Entourage, you want to be Lloyd on Ari's desk, but not getting yelled at like Lloyd did. And so um, the first person who got out of the mailroom, he didn't do any of his duties. When you're supposed to get coffee and go deliver this, he didn't care. You walk around. I got my cart pushing stuff around. I see him with his feet kicked up on a, on a desk with a manager and they're laughing because he knew they don't give a crap about how good I am at putting a mail in a mail slot. If they like me, they're going to want me on their desk. And it was like, ah. So I, I spent a couple of years in um, entertainment business. 
And that is what helped me break out of kind of a little bit of introvert shell and learn how to build relationships and just be more comfortable. Because even as a assistant, you're going to breakfast, lunch, dinner, drinks, you have to know people, right? Your boss wants a script. I remember um, I worked for Lauren Graham. Um, She was on the show, The Gilmore Girls, and she had a production company. And like, I had to figure out how to get the script for the pilot of Joey. You know what I'm saying? Just because she wanted to read it and you have to know someone at the studio, right? And so did that, but I was kind of like, I don't think that I'm going to reach the level of success that I want in an industry that I don't care if you're Steven Spielberg. It's still about relationships and there's always someone who could be in. So someone I met at the startup was working in executive search. So I'm bringing it, bringing it full circle. And he said, try this. You'll either like it or you'll be like, oh, I've worked on so many searches and functions and industries. I want to be a financial analyst in film or I want to be a digital media, blah, blah, blah. I started as a research analyst and I loved it, right? It's, 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 and this is back in the day when there was no LinkedIn, a few years prior to LinkedIn. So you're calling Pepsi like, hey, I'm looking for your senior director of OD. Um, oh, do you mean, do you mean Laura? Do you mean Mark? Um, maybe Laura. What's Laura's last name? I go, I go. Okay, cool, cool. But yeah, Mark, it might've been, that's what you had to do, right? Yeah. Oh, and by the way, they told us to never answer those calls or don't give too much information. Of course, of course. Because people are trying to steal people. Right. Getting through the gatekeepers and all that. And so, but I love the challenge and I love that the end process is you're helping your company get better and you've introduced, because again, it's past, it's retained search. You're mostly going to have past people. You've introduced an opportunity to someone that they didn't know they wanted. Right. And right, so right. You know, did that for a while. Then I became a recruiter and it was just like wild that like you call someone on a Thursday at 1 PM, they're not expecting your call. And you start to tell them why you're calling about the job and the thing, especially back then in the before times before we worked, you know, remote and stuff, it was like, hold on for a moment. Let me close my door. And that's when you're just like, yes, I got it. I got it. Right. So um, anyway, I tell you that story because the technology aspect represents my love of data and process and systems. Mm-hmm. The entertainment aspect helped me build up the relationship building and interpersonal skills part. And then when you think about um, HR and executive search done well, in my mind, it has both aspects, right? It's got the empirical data-driven stuff, but it's also got, you're dealing with human beings, relationships. And so it's got that. And so it was a perfect marriage. It was a perfect marriage. So um, I spent about five years in executive search before I decided to go back to school and I got my MBA at Purdue, left there, I joined GE's HR leadership program. The reason why I did that is I had done all recruiting, but I never actually worked in other functions of HR. I wanted to get that experience as a journalist. And I had to fight. They wanted to put me, this is when GE still owned NBC because of my entertainment experience. They mm. wanted a perfect thing, but I was like, no, I never worked for a company that made a tangible good. Yeah. And so they're like, okay, work. So guess what, buddy? Welcome to GE Aviation is junior related. And by the way, uh, there's probably going to be a strike this year over healthcare. Have a blast. And it was awesome. It was <laughs> awesome. Right. And so um, beautiful thing is you're working with at over a thousand clients. Now, sounds really big, but again, most of them were union representatives. So like you're not in a union. I want to get promoted. Well, when the person above you leaves, then you can get promoted. There's not a but I've done all this. It doesn't matter. Right. So you're not having the same rea- relationships you do with your corporate partners. But I had those, too. Um, so worked at GE for a couple of years, had a blast doing the rotations, was in my final role with them. I was in Charleston and Yum Brands called me. And I remember the recruiter hit me up. And at that point, by the way, um, learned a lot at GE, loved it. But just me being me, I knew that there was no way that I was going to, again, reach the level that I wanted to reach being myself, right? It's a little bit more conservative. I don't mean politically. I just mean like, I remember you bounce around, you do a lot. So I moved to Cincinnati for one of my rotations and Casual Friday, you can wear jeans. That was the policy. I showed up in jeans because I came from Boston where we wore jeans in whenever, didn't matter. And people were like, you have on jeans. I was like, I know it's Friday. They're like, yeah, but the, the head of HR is here. He might see you. And I was like, then I guess he sees me, right? But like, that is not, that's not for me. And again, you learn a lot, but in G and manufacturing, you move around and they're not always the most interesting places, right? So you, where are you going to yeah. build aircraft engines where real estate is cheap, right? So anyway. Right. Right. I was open, but I wasn't like looking. The recruiter from Young Brands called me and we're talking. I was familiar with the company. I knew that they had started, obviously, you know, Vestigial, you know, used to be a roll off of Pepsi. And, um, but I wasn't sure where the role was. I knew they had presence in Dallas and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, he goes, the role will be in Louisville, Kentucky. We want you to lead uh, TA for corporate. And he was like, well, just let me tell you a little bit more about the role. So long story short, he told me about the coach. I was like, okay, listen, I'll talk. Um, loved her. 
she was amazing. Like I never interviewed like that. And again, this was what, 2013. So like Skype and stuff existed, but it wasn't like the de rigueur. Right. And so like, I remember like, I've never had an interview where like, I'm shooting a picture of my whiteboard to my, the person who's interviewing me. And she's like, look at that. It, it was just, we jogged. And so went out there, um, had a blast, led TA there corporate, did a short-term assignment with Pizza Hut Global and finished my career out with Yum at the, um, in the HR leadership team at Taco Bell. Very lucky um, and fortunate that the person was a chief people officer then. You could just have open conversations, right? So remember before I mentioned in other organizations, it's maybe a little bit different. He was someone that I could have a talk with and, you know, the typical, like, hey, what do you want to do next? And the idea is it's under the umbrella of the organization. Maybe even if it's not Taco Bell, it's still within Yum. And it's like, Frank, I'm having a blast here. I love it, but I really want to do my own thing. I want to open my own search firm, but this is so much fun. I'm being paid well. The work is, you know, um, challenging. I love food. It, it's not worth taking that risk to walk away from all this. We talked over several months and long term short, short, he said, listen, Kyle, um, just want to let you know you're on the list to get promoted again. Um, this was like in November 2016, next cycle, but you seem really sure about this and we'd love to be your first client. And so wow. Wow. Right now, an executive <laughs> search or any search, but you know, I do executive. The hardest part of it, again, you're typically going after passive candidates who are working to the is brand recognition, that first thing. So for example, if I reached out to you when you were still at Pepsi and I say, Oh, I've got this role at Coke or Nike or whatever, you may or may not want it, but you don't have to say, Oh, tell me more about this Nike and what they do. I could have a job at a startup that let's say, you know, before they went public or whatever at Facebook, right? When it was still Facebook. Yes, maybe I could be super wealthy, but like there's a 24 year old running it. Who, there's so much research you have to do to decide if you even want to talk to the recruiter. No one in, in you know, they remain a client. No one has ever asked me. So tell me more about Taco Bell, what they do. Right. So if you have a brand that you don't have to explain, that is the easiest way to at least get in there. And so my thesis was this worked at this company um, in the related brands for the last four years. Knew everyone from the CEO on down, helped build the culture and uh, manage it. And as a brand that I'll never have to tell people what they do. Right. If I cannot be successful running a search firm with all these advances. And guess who should not be running a search firm? Because it does not get easier than that. And I'm very happy to say that, you know, started out in 2017 with just me. We used to call it CT Meet. And um, now we're almost 15 people and um, worked with them and just started to grow, grow, grow. And I'll, I'll stop there. For those that are not, familiar. So you were in a talent acquisition role internally. So mm -hmm. you, before that you filled some of those roles at different levels, but for executive search, often those roles are filled with the help of a search firm. So then you moved to external where you could take some of those roles and you almost like speak on behalf of Yum, for uh, example, mm -hmm. to candidates you then find those passive candidates, you call them, you DM them on LinkedIn, you know them through networks, you get referrals, and then you become the matchmaker between the candidate and then your client, which in that example was Yum. And so there's lots of different models, but for executives, often leaders are or companies, um, talent acquisition, look to executive search firms to do some of that work for them. So I just mm -hmm. wanted to set the table for that because there's there's different ways that people do it, but it's very common for executive roles um, to use external search firms. What yep. is the benefit to the company and what's the benefit to a, a candidate to talk to recruiters like you? The benefit in theory to the company is that number one, you have an expert, right? Mm -hmm. And so, especially if you're dealing like with kind of a niche, niche role that like maybe you don't hire as an organization all the time. And yeah. so you don't have recruiters internally who know how to do it. So that there could be that part, right? Yeah. The other part can be, especially in this time where the economy is kind of like this, like a roller coaster, and you 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 want to be responsible and you don't want to bring on a bunch of talent only to things slow down and let them go. It's more cost conscious. And honestly, it's more... Um, I don't know if humane is the right word, but it's a better way to do it, right? So instead of like, hey, we're going to hire you. Oh, no, business is down. Never mind. You're out of here. You only pay for what you need, right? So you hire the experts with the idea that, again, if they're experts, they're yes, they're going to charge you money versus the money you already pay someone who's an internal employee, but they're going to be able to get the people you want more quickly. They're going to be able to influence them better. They're going to be able to um, give you like a white glove service that we provide because internally, 
they've got a bunch of other wrecks that could take precedence yeah. and they're working on everything. They're yeah. working on a head of machine learning over here. And now they have to do the head of culinary. Like they don't know anybody in culinary, right? So you can yeah. get their expertise. Um, so that is the value allegedly. Um, and maybe we can talk about this later. The, the way it's done by a percentage model is absolutely broken. And um, we fixed that. The value to the candidate, you asked. Yeah. So I would say, just like anything else, depends on the recruiter, not the recruiter company, the recruiter, right? But I would say this. One thing, is, it is a harbinger, you could say, of the how important the company values that role, meaning they have retained someone. They have said, we have skin in the game. We are paying for this upfront before we get the hire because that's how important it is, Right. So that is something that lets you know if you're a candidate, like, well, this must be kind of important because they're paying money when a, you know, yeah, they're not they're just paying, getting a contingent. Right. Like yeah, it, they're paying money to a company to hire, mm -hmm. to find the best candidate. And so it is literally your job to find that best candidate for your client. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But to be honest, I think the value is more for the client. And the, another thing it is because we are the ambassador for you, right? So yeah. had situations where, internally like of course the company knows and i know that like all right we're gonna make more of this offer gosh she's gonna be right at the top but she's awesome we stretched to get her i had to go through hell and high water to make this offer work right and so the hiring manager so like let's say you're doing this internally right so the hiring manager is all excited and he's like laura i presented you with this you know and you look at it and you go oh okay um it's not i was expecting more given this and so the hiring manager goes through, they might get upset because like, get mad. you know what I did to yeah. get this for you? And here's the thing. Yeah. They don't because they don't work at your company, right? And so now they have a little bit of an issue. It's like, do I even want this person? Because Laura obviously doesn't care that like I'm putting everything on the line to like get her to come here, right? But if you have an intermediary like us, then we can present the offer. And when you say that, the same thing, like, oh, there's more. And again, if the search company is doing the job, we've already told you what Laura's salary expectations were. And so if you're coming back with something that's really low, we're going to tell you, like, why are we doing this? Because we already talked about it. But let's just say sometimes it happens where someone says, listen, I'm not going to promise anything. I know you guys are going to do your best. I'm interested to see what you have. And if it makes sense, it makes sense. But I need this amount of money, but I'm willing to talk. Right. Mm -hmm. So instead of the hiring manager seeing that and getting offended, the recruiter can then go back. Laura's so excited about this, but here's the thing. As you know, her compensation was like this. And so are there any ways, maybe a signing bonus or some other ways that we can make her whole? Because man, she wants to be here. But again, as we talked about, she had these expectations at the beginning. She loves you, you know, things like that, right? Yeah. And we do it that way. All the client is hearing is like, Laura wants to be here. Is there a way that we can get creative versus I've built this thing that I thought was amazing and they just put their, you know, held their nose up at it. Right. And so having us to be that kind of um, ambassador, I think is super important and like a buffer and the same thing. It does go both ways. So I guess you could say that too, is we can help the client or the candidate. If for example, they're like, what about this? We can say, well, because we know the client, especially like one well, history of some people who've been here, have, you know, gone through two cycles and then they do that. Like there's one client we did a role three times in four years, exact same role. And the reason why we kept doing it again, they didn't get fired. They were getting promoted. So they're oh, like, wow. hey, we need to backfill this role. But since we knew them, what a better way if someone's like, well, what's the what's the opportunities for advancement? So remember, they had this role. They're over here in Europe. They had this role. They're now a GN. They, you know what I mean? Like, so there's proof of concept and we know that versus, yeah. you know, no disrespect to an internal recruiter, but they may not know that. So they're just like, you know, we often, we offer a great advancement and they just kind of give you the company line versus the lived experience. Yeah. I love it. And I think there's that benefit of that intermediary. Oh my goodness. How important for both, for all parties, really, because you're right. Like as a hiring manager, when you're dealing, when you have that offer and it's taken so hard to get it approved, just to get the headcount approved, then you finally have that candidate and it's the right candidate. And then they're like, oh no, this is not what I expected. And you're like, oh man, they are mm -hmm. like, I just, you just start to have doubts about like, well, are they the right person? You know, all those kinds of things. And especially in those executive roles, it's just, it's just, they're always just such important and big roles. And so to be that intermediary, so important 
to just to start everybody off on the right way to set everybody up for success in that process of negotiation all the way to to onboarding totally love that I'm really happy to talk about the You Belong in the C-Suite group coaching retreat. So you know that we have different cohorts. We've had seven cohorts so far over the last three years, and all of those except for one cohort have been virtual. And so this is the first time I'm hosting an in-person retreat, and I'm hosting it for the alumni of the You Belong in the C-Suite group coaching program. So the retreat is limited to alumni or current participants only. So you may be asking, Laura, then why are you telling me about this? I've not been a part of your group coaching before. I can't come. Well, there still is time for you to join us because we are now enrolling for our next cohort, cohort eight for group coaching. So if you join us for this cohort, then you are invited to join us for our first retreat. So to learn more about our retreat, go to the catchgroup.com slash group coaching or send me an email at hello at the catchgroup.com. We'll be accepting applications for group coaching for this cohort through February and getting started with our six month group coaching cohort in March. And then the retreat is in April. So if you're a high achieving woman who is looking to build her career intentionally, then this is the group for you to join. It's a really great program for women who are either looking for their next career move and want to understand what, get clarity on what that next career move should be, or it's a really great fit for people that are new enroll and want to set themselves up for success. So go to thecatchgroup.com slash group coaching to apply now. So you are, you are seeing this talent market right now in a way that a lot of people are not seeing it. And so when I see it, I see it a little bit on both sides. So I work with um, organizations and building values-based cultures. And then I also do executive coaching. And so sometimes I'm seeing leaders trying to get to their next, next role that they want. Mm -hmm. And so we have, I think we have this common purpose, you and I, of really wanting to get different kinds of people than who have previously occupied some of these roles, more diversity, more authenticity, and some of these top executive jobs at these companies. And so a lot of times the leaders that I'm coaching, they're looking for that right culture. They're looking for that right leadership where they can make a difference. And it's sometimes it's taken them a little bit longer, especially kind of post pandemic, especially in tech right now. So you are seeing from the client side, um, I'd love to hear like what are companies looking for now? Do you think that this talent landscape has changed kind of post pandemic? So let's start there. What are some of the, the characteristics, the experiences, the competencies that you are seeing right now more in your client searches? What kinds of leaders are they looking for? That hasn't changed. I would say, and this is, you know, of course, more people want, want people from, a, you know, more, even if it's a manufacturing company, right? Understand technology because, you know, core of any company these days is technology, right? So that's super important. But in terms of like the KPIs and such, that has not changed as much on the client side. What has changed is, as you mentioned with the pandemic, there's more opportunity. So early on, I started during the pandemic, started telling clients, like I have one client that was in a third tier city or whatever. And they're like, oh, you know, we're the one of the marquee employers here. So we're using, I was like, that was true before the pandemic. Now Facebook and Google and all these companies are willing to hire people in your state. You know what I mean? So like, you're not just competing with the local big name companies and those companies name had a lot of money and they can pay, you know, 30% more than you pay in your region and still save like 50% based higher. You know what I mean? So like, yeah, that has changed. So I think that employers are looking at that from a comp perspective of just being like, I know we're in Texas, but we have to have this wide aperture because a person who lives, our company's headquarters in Dallas and the candidate we want is in Dallas. And we could go to them, oh, the market rate for a VP of operations in Dallas is this. They're like, yeah, but this company over in California will hire me out to move. So guess what? The market rate is now that. So yeah. that has been a change. And I'm seeing companies handle it different ways. Some companies do like a um, tiered thing, either by city specific metros where they you know operate 
or, you know, uh, Northern California, Southern California, mm -hmm. things like that. There are some companies that just say the value of the job is the job. I don't give a crap how much you pay for rent or gas or whatever. Like this is what it is. So if you want to live in a high price level, salute. If you want to live in a low price level and stack your bread, whatever. But that's what it is. So that's starting to shift. But what I've seen, um, and this definitely comes from a place of privilege. I have to like remember this all the time because the level that we work at, like our you know, director and above. And a lot of these companies, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. And so I think because, you know, the economy was booming up till now. And again, I, we deal with a lot of executives. What I've seen is at our level, I'm saying director and above, is that it's, you know, it's, oh, it's a pendulum swung. Is it no longer a, a, a candidate's market? If you're dope, it still is. So I know tons of people who were either A, working at their company, they're looking to leave, not in a rush, but they got their eye open. Mm -hmm. Or there are people who have been laid off, or there are people who have just said, "This isn't for me. I'm not getting the energy from it, and I'm luck I'm lucky enough to be able to afford to not have a job." You know what I mean? There's many people, but the common theme that I'm seeing is people saying, "I never thought about it like this." You come into college, you take the best offer that's available, right? Yeah. And then when you're working, if someone's like, "Hey, you're at Coca-Cola. Do you want to come over to Pepsi?" It's a binary choice. We usually in life don't get the chance to just be like white space. What do I want to do? What's the culture I want? Um, mm -hmm. What do I need from a compensation location? What are the opportunities that I can have at this organization? What are the companies and roles that fit that? And then I will pursue them. I'm seeing that. I don't know how many people I've talked to who kicked back this summer, just working on them and just saying, I'm sick of just like, oh, this place came. They're going to pay me 40% more in a big title. And it seems like a valid company. Cool versus what would I really like to do? Who, and I always tell people, think about the friends that you've been jealous about and the work that they've done. I'm not talking about the money, but just like, why is Laura always so happy? Is, is Pepsi that dope? Like, what is going on? Why is she so excited? And think about like, where are the opportunities that can make you feel that, right? And so I'm seeing a lot of that. So what I would say is, it is still, if you are talented, it's still a candidate's market. I talked to one individual, even at the same company for like almost 20 years. And so, you know, what happens with there's typically sometimes salary contraction, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And he was a VP and he was like, I guess I should, you know, look for a director role. And I was like, why would you do that? And he was like, well, you know, the economy's tough. And then I was like, here's the thing. If I see someone, if I have a VP level role, who was just a VP, he had an MBA from a great school, he come from a great company looking for a director role, I'm going to think one of two things. Number one, you're just trying to get any kind of income you can until you can find the real level job that you want. You're going to leave. Yeah. Number two, maybe you were found out and you're really not VP level, but like, I don't want like a, could have been at my director company. Like we want some director who could grow to be a VP. Right. Right. So I don't right. want you then. It's just, it's, it's this coordinate that's going to make people question things. Right. So no, you don't need to do that right now. I, and, and I'm again, like, if someone's in a situation where they're like, I'm going to lose my house, yes, take the director job. But I was like, you are not there yet. He hadn't even began his hunt, but he was targeting those jobs. And I was just like, no, no, you have the talent and the bona fides to show that you were VP level. And so um, at that level, I have not seen anything. I've not seen any of our clients say, ooh, rubbing their hands together, like, oh, we can get some deals. Let's try to get people. No, companies still want super talent. And I think it's also because a lot of companies overhired the last couple of years. So each worker needs to be super awesome, right? When the economy is good, everyone looks good, right? It was only when things started to slow down, the company started to look around and be like, is Michael really that good? Or were those sales just coming in because everyone was making sales? And now that it's gotten tough, he can't produce anything, right? Those are the things that happen. And so they're being more, I would say, um, precise, but they're willing, again, they're willing to pay for quality, but they're kicking the tires more because especially in this world now where not every job is in the office, you have to have more trust. So you want to make sure that I'm only going to spend time in this person maybe once a quarter in real life. I got to make sure I trust Laura. Yeah. I love that. I love that advice. And I see like the trend that you just mentioned of people just, they're leaving their roles. And sometimes at these companies that they've been at it for 15, 20 years, they're leaving without something else. Mm -hmm. to find out what they want to do. And it's fascinating. They're taking some sabbaticals, a pause, because they can afford to. Right. And they're trying to figure out where can I make the biggest impact? And so as I talk to them, 
And we talk about career clarity and what they want, what kind of impact they want to make. We talk about their values and this idea of values alignment. And so that idea from your client perspective, when you're working with a company that's trying to search for these people, that idea of trust and knowing the kind of leaders that they are and all of that kind of stuff is just going to be so important. So what advice can you give for those that are that are candidates or they don't even know their candidates yet, but they know they don't love where they're at and they're trying to put out feelers? What What's your best advice for candidates on the market, knowing what you know from the client side and what they're looking for, who are those best people and what is, uh, what makes them a little bit different, their differentiators to land those jobs right now? Research, right? And so um, you would be astounded at the level, the amount of executives will show up for an interview and just like, what client is this again? Or what, what role is this again? Or whatever. And it's just like, I understand that you're busy, but if you haven't even taken the time to do that, that is not a good omen. And then that's on our level. Then when you sometimes have people go to the clients, it's just like, they didn't seem to really be interested or no. And so to answer your question, to go back is this, figure out what it is that you're looking for and what it is and be very honest, right? And so if what's important to you is a work-life balance, okay, are you okay with making less money, right? Or are you okay with, I want to work remote, and um, so-and-so wants to go into the office. We're human beings. Bob, who goes in the office, you know, always oh, playing kickball with the CEO, is going to wind down Wednesdays. Again, like I said, with the entertainment thing, we're people and relational. So even if your performance is the same, he might get the promo because it's like, but we don't know Kyle. He's out there in Texas doing his thing. We see him once a year at the, you know, get together. But I've been over his house for movie night, right? And so like, those are the things that happen. So you have to be okay with that, right? Because I think and now... A lot of people kind of want like, I want the title, I want the money, but also I don't want to come to the office. I want to do things my way. And it doesn't always work like that. So be very honest about that. The other thing I would say is, like I said before, think about the individuals that you've seen who are happy organizations that you respect and look at them, right? And then as you're building your list, see who you know at those companies. One of those things I always tell people is the strength of the tie far outweighs the, um, level of the person you have the tie with. So for example, if I go to a conference and I meet Mark Zuckerberg and he's like, um, oh, we talked about tacos for seven minutes and we get all passionate about something, right? And he's like, oh, this is great. I got to get on my jet, but here's my car. Call me or whatever, right? Mark Zuckerberg could change the trajectory of my company just by saying, hey, it's time to work with CTE, right? He's forgotten about me five minutes after he gave me the card, right? And so even if I have this thing and I reach out to him with all the things that you know, an executive like that has to do, unless we really hit it off about those tacos, it best maybe flicks it to someone in HR said, oh, follow, follow up on this and that's it, right? Versus, let's say there is an associate HR manager who used to work for me when I was a GE or young, and they loved me. They thought I was a great coach. They are going to, as a candidate, rally for me. Hey, you know, we put Kyle's, you know, we put him through the employee referral. He said he hasn't heard from anyone. What's up, guys? You know, they're going to be on it. And again, they don't have the power, but they have the interest to push it up the hill and, and do everything they can. And so I think sometimes people say, oh, well, I don't know any of the executives there. No, no, no. Don't ever say that, right? It's the person who really cares. And it, it honestly, it works both for a candidate perspective and for people, by the way, who are listening, who do business development. We've received clients from um, executive admins who I worked with in the past and just like at different companies. They're like, oh, Kyle's great. You should check him out, right? They're not the CEO of the company. They're reporting to one of the executives, but those are the things. So like, don't just think about like the biggest titles. Think about who you have relationships with, who, who you care about, who cares about you, and then kind of like focus on those organizations. I love that. I think that's such good advice. And it's the, the like you said, the strength of the relationship of the person that's going to advocate for you on the inside. Yeah. So as a search firm, are you ever trying to understand and get to know candidates that you don't know yet? Like, is that interesting to you or is that um, not interesting so, to you? Tell me about that. Because that's always a question people ask me as a coach. They're like, should I get to know search firms? Yes. It's always better. I always feel like it's better to have it and not need it and need it and not have it. And so um, as a candidate, take those calls because they're going to have a database and let them know your compensation, the titles you're looking for, so that when they have a role, 
you're one of the first people they hit. So for us as a search firm, we're a little bit different than a lot of the bigger firms. They essentially have their group of people and they make money by just taking the same candidates, flashing them around. Hey, we're corn fairy, so that means we're lit and you should take one of our candidates and or take this other one, right? It's efficient for them to do that, right? The way we work, we work from the inside out. So when we're doing a search, we start with who do we know, right? Who are prior placements or candidates, right? Then if they're not right, who do they know? Then we go out from there. Then we go to other people we've interviewed in the past for other roles that maybe, oh, I can't relocate, but they were awesome, right? But then we also go out and make new friends, right? That's super important. And it's one of the reasons I think that at the executive level, there's such a lack of diversity. If the same women and people of color bouncing around in these little groups from these big search firms without reaching out to other people who could be qualified and um, you know why? Why would I go make a new friend when I have this list of friends that we built for 40 years? And sorry, client, you're going to stick with that, right? So we're all about what I call making new friends and reaching out to people. And I love it. One of the things that um, we do, uh, I like to call it a wild card candidate. And that's someone who like on paper, you might be like, why am I talking to Mark Kyle? And I'm like, hold on, let me explain all the why he reasons he's, you know, he's awesome. Right. And just to expand the aperture. I think that is something that needs to be addressed. Because these are influential roles. There's tons of people out there, but companies are wary of taking a chance on someone who isn't known, right? And don't don't get me started about backdoor references. I abhor those. Um, just because someone's like, I don't like working with Laura. Oh, she was in HR. What'd you do? I was in procurement and she pissed me off one time about a vendor. So don't hire. Like, what does that mean? It has nothing to do with you doing your job, right? So I don't like like backdoor references. What about how you are seeing just kind of executive search and how you're kind of changing the landscape? Like, tell me more about what you're doing differently moving forward um, and what you're trying to accomplish. Okay, let me paint a, paint a picture for you. I like to make examples. So, you know, when you get, when you, um, if you're moving houses, and I moved a lot, you call the move or the movers call them like how many, how many levels are, how many stairs are there, whatever, right? Because it's going to cost more if they have to go up three flights of stairs, right? Yeah. So they're using data specific to your situation to determine the price that they charge you, right? Because if they didn't do that and they just said, we charge a percentage of the value of your house, that's your move, right? And so some people are like, well, that makes sense because, you know, the bigger, more expensive it is, the bigger your house is and they're doing more work, right? But riddle me this, Laura, take a half a million dollar house in Waco, Texas, probably three or 4,000 square feet. Take a half a million dollar home in Manhattan, it's probably a 400 square foot studio. If you're the person with the studio, is it fair that you're paying that same percentage of the MSRP for the work that they're doing? No. So why do you think executive search has been based as a percentage? It's the been based. Month? Yeah. And it's so interesting. So just to put it simply, it's like the your client. So a client hires you. And it's the percentage of what is it, the base salary or total comp that they, that they it then depends pay. on. Yeah. Either okay. one. Yeah. But it's a percentage of that, that you then they pay you to find the right person. Is that how it works? But here's the other part. It's a percentage I want of a currently unknowable price, right? Right. You can say our target comp is 300 K, but there's always a range yeah. or you might find someone you need to, whatever. So it's like, you're saying I'm going to pay 33 and a third percent of a price to be named in the future, right? Regardless of the level of difficulty or efficacy. So think about it again, supply and demand. Back when the hiring was booming, search firms were giving companies their butt to kiss. Like, oh no, you, we won't talk to you unless you're spending at least 200K because we're going to miss out. We'll, we'll do your little disgusting 100K search. We need to get this money, right? Raising prices, minimums, all that. Guess, guess who didn't say, oh guys, things are tough now. So we're actually going to cut our rates, right? But again, even if they did, the problem is you're using a percentage that means nothing. Yeah. A hundred years ago, someone said, hey, this is the way we do it. And so the reasons that search firms do it, because it's freaking lucrative, right? Like you're passing around the same amount of people in your network, especially if you've, you know, been the vaunted, uh, you know, big Shrek search firms or something like that, right? So you're basically trailing off. It's the old, no one ever got fired for hiring IBM thing, right? But it's dumb search. So what we've done is we have created an algorithm. It's a product called Fairentee, right? So it's an AI-powered data-driven algorithm 
instead of just saying like, what's your role and just giving you a percentage, we figure out what makes your role special. So we ask you for your base salary, bonus, level of the role, functional area, company size, uh, industry, office environment, and metro area. The last two, super important. And so for example, if you are paying, and it's also on the back end, it's based on like our strengths as a recruitment and the number of days it takes us to do searches, et cetera, right? But here's what we what we posit. If you are paying at the 20th percentile for a role in financial services in Butte, Montana, which is not known as a bastion of financial services companies, right? And you need to come in the office all day. And let's say you want to pay that person, just keep it simple, a total cash comp of 300K. So 30 to three and a third would be $100,000, right? Mm -hmm. Our price might be $140,000 because the reality is convincing someone to leave Manhattan to go to Butte, Montana, where if this doesn't work, you're going to have to move again because there's no other companies that are out there that do what you do. And by the way, they want you to come in the office every day. It's going to be a lot harder to find that person than if you had the exact same company and it was in, say, Chicago. And you don't have to come into the office, right? Or it's nationally remote. So who cares where you live? Work from wherever, right? And so what we've done is built an algorithm to give you a price. We call it the guarantee again. And so it takes all of that, those data points into effect. It comes up with a flat price. So the percentages may change. And by the way, again, our price is not always going to be the least expensive. That's not the point. The point is to give you, for the first time in executive search, a data-driven price. And we can tell you why. Because I would say this, in this day and age right now where, you know, unfortunately, tons of people have been laid off, but especially, obviously, talent acquisition people, because we're not hiring. We don't need to pay people to find people for us to hire. Yeah. So talent acquisition executives, easily identifiable. It's a function that's existed for decades. Yeah. Do you remember early this year, Netflix went uh, viral? They had an AI prompt engineer role that was like 900K. I don't remember that. No. Yeah. Look it up. Okay. Look it up. Okay. And so that is a role that didn't exist a year ago. Uh-huh. Those titles didn't exist a year ago. So the people with the talent are, it's not going to be super obvious. It's going to be hard to find. And yeah. they're going to want a lot of money. So if I'm a big Fortune 500 company who has shareholders to talk to, how can I stand to the to the board and say, I paid 30% to this search firm for a role where the people were easily identifiable open to work and easy to find. How do you justify that by saying, but we also paid 30% for a role where they had to roll up their sleeves and get busy. So you could say, now I guess you could say is like, hey, we got priced right for the AI role and we took a haircut on the TA role and kind of lump it up to that if you wanted. Or you could say, man, what if there was a way to get an actual data-driven price for the search and come up with something? So again, we call it the guarantee. It gives you a flat price. It's locked in for five days. So please shop around, talk to people, ask us questions, right? That's what we really want. I want someone to say, well, Kyle, how, why is your price 87,000 when everyone else is 115K? It's like, well, we're awesome at HR searches. It's in the middle of the country in Dallas. The person only has to come in the office two times a week and you're paying at the 85th percentile. That's why. Mm-hmm. The amount of work that we're going to have to do for this we're kind of giving you the savings. Again, I used to work with GE. I'm all about Lean Sigma. And to me, we're eliminating the client's waste, the extra money that you paid to that person. Now, again, someone could say, well, your price is higher than theirs. We're just being upfront. And so you can take it, have a risk and do it. But again, our, our price that we're guaranteeing is higher than a percentage of only if you land at that exact salary. If you go up, you got to pay more. And the other thing is this eliminates the agency problem, right? I'm in a business where if I have two people who um, 100% can do the job you want, and one is at the very top of your range, the other one's in the middle, who do you think the big company is going to show you? Because you're going to be like, oh, this is great. You know, whatever, right? This takes it away. We have a flat price. That's our fee and it's data driven. I know other companies do, but those are arbitrary too. 50K, 100K. There's no data in that. It's just an arbitrary flat fee. So you know that if we show you that person at the top of the pay range, it's because they're awesome because we don't get paid a dollar extra for them, right? And the other thing that I love about this is that um, I think it helps democratize executive search and knock down this big old boys club where you have to have enough money to to even have them deign to to work with you. 
there are companies, especially startups, and especially, you know, unfortunately, people of color and women who are founders, right? They don't get as much money. They don't get as much funding. And so they're like, wow, I would like to have some money to use the executive search, but I can't pay 100 or 200K minimum. Go to Fair and T, they might be like, oh, 59.6 for an HR director that's nationally remote and, you know what I'm saying, we're paying well. Oh, okay. I think we can do that and have the access to that awesome talent by hiring a search partner. So it'll be launched by the time everyone hears this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm really excited for this. I love this idea of democratizing executive search, but then also the types of candidates that you're going to be giving them also feels like um, just the the values that you have talked about and just what you stand for. They're going to be really great candidates and they're going to be different kinds of candidates too. And so it feels like a, a win, obviously, for the for the clients and the companies that are going to hire you to find the people, but also ultimately for the candidates as well. And so I'm um, I'm just so excited that I love to see disruption in how we've done HR. And mm -hmm. so I think this is a really important space to to disrupt. To your point, like somebody did it a million years ago, and that's what we've been doing since then. So let's disrupt it to make it better for everyone. You'll get better candidates at companies, make those matches faster and get people into fulfilling jobs to make impacts at those companies faster. So I'm, I'm a fan. Um, I'm excited for you. And I just want to thank you so much for sharing your thought thank leadership you. and your story with us today. We're going to put everything in the show notes, but what's the best place to find you and to connect with you? Yes, yes, yes. You can find me on LinkedIn, LinkedIn.com slash Kyle Samuels. Or um, go to our website, hirecte.com. Take a look at um, the team. You can interact with me, reach out, learn about our offerings. Those are the two best places. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. And I'm really excited that we connected today. Thank you, Laura. I want to thank you so much for listening to the You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. If you are enjoying this content, please remember to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. By leaving a review, you are helping others find this content. We will be featuring five-star reviews on air in upcoming episodes. Editing and support for the podcast is done by S&E Podcast Management. To get more tips and tools to help you live a life guided by your values, go to thecatchgroup.com. Keep your boundaries and take care.